Morning. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We are taking a break from our study in the Gospel of Matthew today. And uh, since it is uh, Thanksgiving week, and we have so much to be thankful for, uh, among the many blessings that we have to be thankful for to God, I want to focus today specifically on on the doctrines of grace, really on what Christians have most to be thankful for, and that is our salvation. And uh, so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for this day, and Lord, we do have so much to be thankful for. Among the many blessings that we have to thank You for are the blessings we have in Christ our salvation and what you have accomplished and what you are accomplishing because of the cross and the empty tomb and Christ's expected return. Lord, we pray that you would teach us today, Lord, that you would would help us to set aside other worries and things on our minds and and stresses and and ideas and really focus now upon you and upon your glorious grace. And Lord, we know that as we do and as you change us more into the people you want us to be, that then these things in our lives, the other things in our lives that we're dealing with will fall into uh, proper perspective and you'll give us your wisdom. But we thank you for this time, Lord, and we commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I woke up this morning, and I said, I am so glad I'm alive. On a number of of fronts, but I am so glad I get to preach. And I'm so glad I get to preach the glories of God's grace. What could be better than this? 
God's grace, just reading these verses, verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians 1, um, ought, to, ought to excite our souls, ought, ought to thrill our souls. It, it ought to encourage us. It ought to give us security and assurance. See, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 highlights God's blessing in Christ for believers. What God has done and what we have been given in Christ. And these blessings are gifts of God's grace. They are the catalyst that inspires us to want to live to the praise of God's glory. They are the best possible family secrets. They are revealed to and known by only the family of God, only the elect. Those without Christ cannot know nor can they understand these truths. And we know why, because the scriptures tell us they are blinded by our enemy. They are blinded by Satan. But those in Christ can see by faith, though as through a clouded window, I mean on a cold morning or when there's fog on the window and you've got to kind of brush the fog away and look through, it's still a little bit hazy. Maybe a, a window that's not completely clean and you're looking through it. That's the way it is here on earth. We're, we're seeing it and we're, we're grasping it, but we don't see it fully. One day, one day we shall see fully these glorious truths in all their glory. By the way, these, four, these 12 verses, verses 3 through 14, are one of the most complete statements of, of Christian belief in all of Scripture. Um, they are, in the original Greek, one long sentence. Uh, they, are, they are one long sentence in the original Greek, but in, in the King James, they are four sentences. In the ESV, they're five. In the NASB, they're six. And in the NIV, they're eight. And by the way, the delineation of the Bible into chapters and verses weren't in the original Hebrew and Greek documents. It wasn't until the 13th century that the Bible was, was uh, divided up into chapters. It wasn't until the 16th century that the Bible was uh, put through what I would cons- call versification, where you, they chopped it up into verses. And it was all for ease of use. But this was one, one document, one flow of thought, and, and these 12 verses was one sentence. The Holy Spirit knows how to write a run-on sentence. Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus about how the the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both initiated and accomplished salvation. About how he initiated and accomplished reconciliation and redemption for the praise of his glory. And these 12 verses are literally a blessing of God. They They are words that bless God. They are words that speak well of him. Look at verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father. There's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's God the Son who has blessed us with every spiritual, that is from the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see the word blessed and blessed and blessings all come from the same root word, from the word that we get our English word eulogize from. When you say a eulogy or when you hear a eulogy at a memorial service, it is a time to speak well of the deceased. That's what it means to speak well of. Uh, A eulogy in a funeral is not the time to tell everybody what a rotten guy he was. How he did everybody wrong. A eulogy is where you have an opportunity to speak well of your loved one, your friend. 
Here we are speaking well of God. Blessed be God. May God be well spoken of because He has spoken well of us. And He hasn't just spoken, He has done good for us. He has done good to us, towards us. He's acted upon us for our good and His glory. So may He be well spoken of, eulogized, literally, because He has acted, the living God, eulogized, because He has acted for good towards us. He has blessed us with many blessings. And by the way, who's us here? Who's Paul talking about when he says in verse 3, us? Got to look at verses 1 and 2. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He was not a self-appointed apostle. He did not make himself an apostle. God made him an apostle. And he's writing to the saints, to those set apart, to those marked out for God's purpose and use who lived in Ephesus a center of commerce, a, a place where there were uh, huge, huge temples to pagan goddesses and gods. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. How has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ? How has he done this? Well, we can count the ways. How does God love us? Let us count the ways. And then let us recount the ways. Our souls need to praise God. It is a God-entranced activity that all Christians need to be spiritually healthy in Christ. The idea is that all Christians should do something as a result of these verses. All Christians should continually recount Christ's blessings in order to react appropriately to Christ's glory. It's getting to be almost Christmas now. It's not even Thanksgiving, but people have their Christmas stuff up. Some people left theirs up all year, I know. But you know the story of Scrooge, and uh, he's there in his, in his place all alone, just counting and recounting his money. It's a bad thing. But what Paul does right off the bat here is he recounts God's glorious grace. That's a good thing. We are to recount Christ's blessings so that we would react appropriately to his glory. In light of Christ's blessings, every Christian should speak well of God. There are two activities that emerge in this text. First, that of recounting his blessings, because there are so many, because they're absolutely essential, because apart from the things that verses 3 through 14 outline, we are lost, we are blind, we are dead, we are destitute, we are poor, we are needy. Apart from the things that verses 3 through 14 highlight, we are without hope and without God in the world. So we need to recount his blessings, see what we've got in Christ, and out of that recounting to be actively reacting to Christ's glory responding in faith and hope and perseverance to the revealed truth so here's what I want to do this morning first of all focus on recounting Christ's blessings how has he blessed us let's see what this text says about how God has blessed us and then we'll see how we are to react to that blessing to his glory so first of all recounting Christ's blessings how has he blessed us what has God done how has he acted upon us for his glory and our good 
We know from Romans eleven thirty six that from him and through him and to him are all things. And so Christians have a salvation that is from God, it is through Christ, and it is to the praise of his glory. But what we see, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved here. And the first part that we see is that our salvation is from the Father. Our salvation is from the Father. And there are, there are certain blessings that are, that are highlighted here that are involving the Father. The first is in verse 4. And we see that God chose us. That the Father, God the Father, chose us. He selected us to be saved. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Well, let's ask the question. When did He choose us? The text makes it really clear. And by the way, before I go any further, let me just say this. I've talked to a lot of Christians who will say, you know, I don't believe certain things that some Christians believe. Sometimes people will say to me, hey, you believe in predestination? I said, I sure do. It's in the Bible, don't you? Do you believe that God chose us from before the foundation of the world? I sure do, because it's in the Bible. Do you? It says that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy, that means morally pure, and blameless, that means free from the guilt of sin, before Him. That we would be in a state before Him where we would, would be considered holy and blameless. Not guilty of sin any longer and morally pure. So when were we chosen? The text answers it for us. We were chosen before creation. Before the foundation of the world. What this gives is comfort to the believer to know that God didn't have to switch plans midstream because man sinned. This was plan A all the way along. All the way through. When mankind fell, he didn't change his course. It was fixed from before time began. Before the creation of the world. That gives me comfort because I know that nothing takes God by surprise. He is all-knowing. There's a lot of teaching going on now that says, well, he doesn't know everything. That's a lie. He knows everything. He is sovereign. And it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. What else did God the Father do? Verse 5 tells us that he predestined us to adoption. Look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. This was his will that decided this to happen. This was not my will that decided that he would do this. He predestined me for adoption as a son through Jesus Christ to himself, and that was according to the good pleasure of his will. Romans 8 and verse 29 and 30. You, you may know these verses by heart. Verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means that he chose beforehand, independently, with no one else's help. He chose beforehand that we would be adopted as sons. We're adopted by grace. That was plan A from, from the get-go. Uh, a child cannot initiate an adoption. It, it must be initiated by an adult who wants to be the child's parent. Must go through a lengthy legal process and, and, and go through the legal legitimization process and then that child is officially that parent's child but our adoption in Christ was legal it was 
official, it was legitimate, it was initiated by the Father. And by the way, when God adopted us, He didn't choose the pick of the litter. You look great today, but He didn't pick the choose of the litter. He didn't choose cute and cuddly. He chose wretched and poor and blind and destitute and needy sinners and made them holy and blameless in His sight. See, we didn't go up to Him and beg Him to adopt us. It doesn't work that way. He chose us before creation. That was plan A settled before the world began. So we will spend eternity, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a born-again believer in Christ, you will spend eternity praising the glory of God's grace as an, as an adopted, unworthy child praising grace. You'll be blown away by grace. You'll be amazed that you are a child of God. What else did God the Father do? Verse 6. We see that He, he accepted us. Verse 6 says that we... To the praise of his glorious grace, it was according, he predestined us for adoption, verse 5, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In your Bible there, beloved will be the capital B, because it's pointing to Jesus, and we are basically accepted in the beloved to the praise of his glorious grace. Look, people reject us. People don't accept us. People don't invite us into their club. We don't get invited to the party. When I was a little kid, when we grew up in Downey, my, my room was overlooking the garage, which overlooked the street. And I'll never forget this one day, all these kids and their parents are walking down the street with presents in their hands to a party I wasn't invited to from a kid my age. I heard. People reject us. They don't accept us. They don't invite us to the party. But there is no rejection in Christ. Our acceptance based solely on Christ's merits. None of ours. I was invited to a, a really fancy dinner in October and I was very privileged to get the invitation and, and it was to the, the dedication of a new building at the seminary that I went to and that I, I, I privileged to teach at. And I, thought to, and I didn't think to myself, oh, I know why they invited me because I was the best student that ever went there. Not true. Oh, I know why they invited me, because I'm the best professor they've ever had. Again, not true. A once-a-week adjunct. Here's the reason I was invited. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with my name. And it wasn't that they said, hey, that guy that, pre- that preaches and uh, pastors over at Grace Church of Orange, we got to have him at this, par- at, this, uh, at this dinner. Well, no, it wasn't that either. The reason why I was invited was because I happened to be associated with a group of people that gave a lot of money to build that building. They didn't care who I was. I, I didn't earn that money. I didn't invest that money. I didn't do anything with it except I just happened to be at the table with that group. I happened to be a part of that group. I wasn't even a part of that group when they first decided to give money to, that, to the school. But I got invited to the dinner. I got to meet the president of the university. I felt privileged to be at the table. In Christ, we have been brought to the table. Much like Mephibosheth when he was brought to David's table. And he said, why would you consider a dead dog like me? See, when we're invited to Christ's table, we see ourselves as unworthy. We see ourselves as needy and destitute and lost without him. We know that we're at the table purely by grace. If you're a Christian today, you know. You know. It was none of you and all of him. They got you here. 
purely by grace, all on Christ's merits. And by the way, according to verse 6, God's ultimate goal is not your salvation or my salvation. God's ultimate goal is the praise of his name through salvation, to the praise of his glorious grace. He did all these things to the praise of his glorious grace. So our salvation is from the Father. And our salvation is also through Christ the Son. There are blessings here involving the Son directly. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, verse 7 says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. In the Beloved, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God lavished his grace upon us in Christ. What did Christ do? The first thing we see is that God redeemed us. God redeemed us in him. In him we have redemption, which means we've been bought, which means we've been ransomed from slavery through his blood. That signifies his death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice. Romans 3, 24 tells us that we are, those in Christ are justified by His grace as a gift, freely as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9, 15 says that a death has occurred that redeemed those called from the sins they committed. The death that occurred was Christ. The redemption was towards those who had committed many sins. That's us, those who come to faith in Christ. And it brings up one of my favorite Bible words, propitiation. Propitiation, that he himself is the propitiation through his blood. It means that the, that the, that the wrath of God was appeased when Christ died on the cross. It means that the wrath of God was satisfied at the cross. I love the way J.I. Packer puts it in his book, Knowing God. He said, what happened? The wrath of God against us, both present and to come, has been quenched. How was this affected? Through the death of Christ. While we were enemies, Romans 5.10 says, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. The blood, by the way, that, this ver- that this, these verses refer to, the blood, that is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And it abolished God's anger against us and ensured that his treatment of us forever after would be propitious and favorable. So instead of showing himself to be against us, he would show himself in our life and experience to be for us. What then does the phrase, a propitiation by his blood, express? It expresses in the context of Paul's argument precisely this thought, that by his sacrificial death for our sins, Christ pacified the wrath of God. Can praise the glory of God's grace for that. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, and that grace has been lavished upon us. We were bought with a price, we were redeemed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That phrase is repeated in 1 Corinthians 7:23. God has redeemed us. He has bought us with a price 
What else has he done? Christ has forgiven us. He has forgiven us of our sin. You know, when you hurt somebody and you sin against them, when they see you, they think about what you did. When someone hurts you and and you see them or you think about them or you want to write them a letter or an email or a text, you think about what they did. You, You relate to them by virtue of what they did to you. Unless forgiveness happens. It could even happen in this church. Someone's walking down the, the aisle towards you that you know has hurt you and you wonder how you're going to respond. Someone's walking down the aisle that you have hurt and you wonder, are they going to lash out at me? Are they going to turn the other way? Are they going to ignore me? That's what you're hoping, that they turn the other way and ignore you because you don't want to face them. Unless forgiveness happens Unless there's confession of sin And repentance You turn from it And and they say I I release you from the debt I release you from the debt I'm not going to hold it against you any longer But we have this fear of people That they're going to hold What we have done against us No such fear in Christ No such fear in Christ He has released us from our burden of our sin he said he won't count our trespasses against us. I always remember that movie, that The Mission, where the guy is trying to earn his way back to forgiveness. And uh, De Niro's character is going up this huge South American rainforest, basically waterfall cliff. And he's going up to the very top, carrying the suit of armor that he used to wear uh, when, he would, when, he would, when he was a mercenary. And he gets to the very top, and what do they do? One of the natives... Of, of, of people that he used to kill came up and took a knife and, and you wonder what he was going to do to the guy. And he took the knife and cut off the guy's burden and it fell into the, to the, to the water hundreds of feet below. And he just wept. He wept because his burden had been lifted. Symbolically and really in that relational setting. But in Christ, in Christ He has said he won't count your trespasses against you. When he looks at you, he sees Christian. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees blameless. He sees holy. The prince of peace brought you peace. He took your place and paid your debt. You were substituted for. You were died for. Christ took your lowly place and gave you his and by the way you're still going to sin let's say you become a Christian today you believe in Christ today you hadn't before and you do today you're still going to sin don't get the idea that I'm never going to sin again in my whole life you're still going to sin but don't start loving it and don't like it too much and don't run from God when you do don't run in shame from God go to Jesus because there is forgiveness in him He restores you. He revives you. He heals you. He puts you back in the game when you come to him in repentance and turn from your sins. There is forgiveness with him. What else? Verse 8, he has given us grace. He has given us grace. Literally, when it says that he lavished his grace upon us, when he gave us abundant grace, it means he literally graced us with grace. That's what it means. Graced us with grace. He lavished grace. Grace abundantly on us. 
John chapter 1 says that of his fullness we have all received. All believers have received of God's fullness and grace for grace. Grace in the place of grace. Magnitudes of grace. Mounds of grace. Mountains of grace. I could go on. Bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, Infinity of grace. You can't top that. When I was a kid, my mom would make... uh, you know, cupcakes or cake or whatever. I loved licking the icing spoon or the bowl, but specifically, I loved um, um, licking the, um, and I keep forgetting the word, the, the mixer things. The mixing ble- blade beaters, batter beaters. Um, and here's the deal. There was all this icing on it, and you would lick it, but you'd almost like cut your tongue because it's like, it's hard to get in the nooks and crannies around those things. What I really liked is, is a carrot cake slathered lavished with uh that icing the uh cream cheese frosting a lot of it and but i would eat it and i'd have to eat the cake because it was all gone but see with god's grace that he lavishes upon us there it never goes away it never runs out it the well never runs dry grace 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 to infinity Praise the glory of his grace. What else has he done? God has revealed his will to us. He has revealed his will to us. We're always going, what do I do, God? What's your will? Verses 9 and 10 tells us, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery. That's something that used to be hidden, that now is revealed, and it's the mystery of his will. What's the will of God for a child of God? Once you get saved, you know what his will was, that he would save you. He purposed it before the foundation of the world. Praise God that it's God's will that that happened, or else it wouldn't have happened. And, and he did it, verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, when the time was ripe. It's the summing up of all things in Christ, uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. We can't wrap our minds around that. But we know this. Everything God does is perfectly timed for good. Everything. Galatians 4.4 tells us when the fullness of the time came, when the time was ripe, God sent forth his son to redeem us. And when the time was right for you to be saved, he drew you in. You say, well, I wish I could have got saved earlier in life. Well, you know what? That was God's perfect timing in your life. And everything up to, your, up to that point in your life, God was preparing you. And everything after, God's still preparing you for what is to come. What else has he done? Verse 11 and 12, he has given us an inheritance. Oh, we love that word, don't we? People are like, oh, what's my inheritance? We know people that have squandered their inheritances. People with trust funds that just waste their money. The prodigal son. He got his inheritance early. Wasted it all. But an inheritance is something that parents work for to bless their kids. It's an allotted portion of their stuff. One day I'll leave an inheritance to my kids. I don't know what will be in it. But it will be for them. Sorry, not for you. It will be for them. My children. God has given us an inheritance 
We have obtained in him an inheritance, verse 11, having been, and here's the word again. And here's why you cannot just explain away predestination. You can't do it. You can't get away from it. It'll chase you down. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. What does all things mean? All things. So everything is worked according to the counsel of God's will. He either decrees it or he allows it. He's sovereign. All things according to the counsel of his will. I told you when I woke up this morning, I was so excited because I get to preach the doctrines of grace, of God's grace. And, and I don't, I've never met a Christian who isn't excited about the doctrines of grace. I've never met a Christian who isn't blown away when they read these words and say, wow, look what God's done. I could never do it. I could never deserve it. I get it. How? Grace. Verse 12 says, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Paul is speaking to these Ephesian believers. First century. Amongst the first who were to hope in Christ. And what would they be to the praise of God's glory? How would they live to the praise of God's glory? Be means to live. They would live to the praise of God's glory. Well, we've been given an inheritance. And this has come about by his purpose. His will. It's like the human parents who give this inheritance to bless their kids. And our inheritance was planned and prepared and will never run out. And he did it to bless us. Human resources run out. Human resources have their limits. God's resources are never ending. God's resources are eternal. So predestined here is, is two times, and it really points out God's sovereign, independent plan. He directed it. And you've got to understand who Paul was writing to, not so unlike us and the kind of ideas we think. In that culture, they believed that the pagan gods were always looking at them and either getting happy or mad with them. And that if they didn't keep the gods happy, something bad would be done to them. Or else they believed that everything happened by pure fate, chance. And what God is giving believers here is comfort and assurance and security that this is not the whim of man. This is not pure chance. This this is, they, they believed that the pagan gods were either fickle or punitive. And God is saying that his sovereign electing grace to all who believe is according to his will and they live by his enabling grace. That they would be to the praise of his glory. Our salvation is from the Father. Our salvation is through the Son. What else do we see here in this passage? What we see is that our salvation is by His Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Now we see some blessings involving the Holy Spirit. We've seen blessings involving God the Father, blessings involving God the Son, and now blessings involving God the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, actually. Go back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual of, of the Spirit blessing. Blessings of the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, 
You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So God has sealed us in Him. Sealed us in the Holy Spirit. Back then they would use a signet ring. A king would use a a signet ring and press it into hot wax to seal an important document or package. He would sign his name, so to speak. He would put his seal upon it. It would signify his authority. It would signify the authenticity of the contents that were in the letter or in the package. Like the good housekeeping seal. Approval. The seal of the President of the United States or the, or the U.S. government. It's a stamp of approval. It, it means that we're protected and, and saved until the end. We are then certified authentic in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that He, God, has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 1 Peter 1.5 says that by God's power we are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, God has sealed us in Him and He's also guaranteed our eternal inheritance. He has guaranteed it. It says here that the Holy Spirit, verse 14, was given as a pledge, a guarantee, a deposit, a down payment of our inheritance. You buy something significant, you got to put a down payment down. You got to show them you're serious about it. You got to show them you're not just going to walk away and just, you know, not pay up. You got to put a down payment down that's significant enough to know that if you walk away, you lose that. And you don't want to walk away because you don't want to lose that. God put an eternal inheritance with a guarantee with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, again, to the praise of His glory. Three times in this passage, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, that we might be to the praise of his glory. Now look, it's hard for us to get our minds around this guarantee idea because we deal in weak man-made warranties and guarantees. I was talking to someone the other day who told them they had this home warranty and they said, well, they didn't take the claim because there were all these exclusions. So you get this warranty, but you got to go way through, you know, reams of paper that tell you what they're not going to warranty. How about the lifetime warranty? Who came up with limited lifetime warranty, by the way? (laughs) Limited lifetime warranty? We'll warrant it, but not for this, 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 and this. Weak. Not God's warranty. Not God's guarantee. Not God's uh, down payment. Not God's guarantee of our inheritance. See, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have acted upon us for His glory and for our good He has truly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. He has changed our present reality and our future certainty. And if you have a spiritual pulse, you will react to that. If you don't, you won't. But if you got any kind of spiritual pulse, you will react to this. How do we react to his glory? How do we live in light of his glory? What does it mean to be to the praise of his glory? What does it mean to live like that? It means above and, all, above and beyond you will live to and for the glory of God, but that's, again, a concept. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says that the, the grace that is spreading to more and more people will abound in praise to the glory of God, but again, it's a concept. You could look at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and say, you know, that illustrates God's sovereign activity, and Ephesians 4 through 6, chapters 4 through 6, illustrates man's response to God in light of his sovereign activity 
I got up early this morning and read through all of Ephesians. Blew me away. I was struck by how often I have run to Ephesians 4 and taught that apart from Ephesians 1 through 3. How often I've run to Ephesians 5 and talked on parenting or, uh, I mean marriage, and Ephesians 6 and talked on parenting and, and forgot that it's, 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 all, it's all in light of chapters 1 through 3. You've got the doctrine and you've got the practice in a nice, beautiful package. Chapters 1 through 3, the doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6, the practice. How we are to live. So what does it mean? You know, and, and what you see here, this response, it's, it's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It's election and, and predestination referring to God's decision to save someone. It's faith and repentance referring to a person's responding to God. It's always, always expected. It's a response. All, every action's got some kind of reaction. We react to people all the time, don't we? Some of you are really quick to react in anger. Some of you are very quick to act in, react in praise. But we are to react to God's sovereign working. What might that look like in light of what you've experienced in life? Or are experienced in life? Or will experience in life? What might that look like in real daily living? What, what might override the, the struggles and the stresses and the pains and, and the heartaches that you're presently dealing with? I'll give you quickly uh, several things. Number one, it, what it means if you react to God's glory that you will dwell on the deep truths of the faith often. We talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves a lot nowadays. You will count and recount Christ's blessings to yourself as often as you can. Paul gave us the model. He did it right off the bat in Ephesians chapter 1. And it wasn't meant to be read once. <laughs> How you doing? We ask people. And we say, oh, I'm great. I'm blessed. And translation, everything's going my way right now. Truth is, we are blessed in Christ no matter how things go. We are presently and eternally secure. We are, we are accepted in the beloved. We are chosen. We are predestined. We are forgiven. We are showered with God's grace. And sealed by the Holy Spirit. My past is forgiven. My present and my future is secure. We dwell on those truths. It makes a big difference as you navigate life. What else? You will repent of any and all false beliefs that have minimized God's glory in your heart, mind, and life. You'll basically believe what the Bible says without trying to explain it away. And by the way, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, this prayer and thanksgiving from Paul about how their... their their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and that they would know what is the hope to which God has called him, them and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's praying that they would know these things. Now that's, that's all one sentence too. Verses 15 through 23, all one sentence as well. But God does everything for his glory, so should we. God is the most God-centered being ever, ever, uh, ever. <laughs> so should we. We should be God-centered because God is God-centered. You were made to find your deepest satisfaction and everlasting joy in Christ. Praising the glory of God. What else? You will share the wealth with as many people as possible in word and deed. You will show and tell the glory of God. It's a normal reaction of someone in love with their Heavenly Father. You know, I remember the movie Like Mike. And there was this pro, pro basketball player who, who basically ended up adopting this orphan boy. 
But at the end of the movie, the, 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 the orphan boy says, hey, you know what? It's two for, two for one orphan day. Um, you got to take my buddy here too. And uh, the thing is, the dad, the new dad, still had to say yes to that. But, but he wanted his buddy to have a dad so bad. You want to be like that. You want to speak of the blessing of salvation, the blessings of salvation to God's people, those who understand. But then you want to show and tell the story of salvation to those who are alienated from God, those blinded by Satan. And you might not have an evangelist gifting, but you have an evangelist calling. I've been thinking about bird of paradise plants a lot recently. I don't know why. We had them at our house when I was a kid. We see them all over the place. But notice the bird of paradise plant always looking out. Always looking out. We're going to spend eternity in paradise. We always need to be looking out for those who don't know Christ and share the glorious truths of the gospel with them. What else will you do? You will confidently act because you're banking on God's eternal riches. You will confidently act. You've got a guarantee it's going to happen. So go and do what God says to do. Read Ephesians 4 through 6 and do what it says. And the last thing is this. Praise will flow from your heart when it's full of God. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So if your, your heart is full of God, you'll speak to God and others about His greatness and His goodness and His glorious grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that in this passage, no less than three times, we are reminded that to You be the glory. To the praise, we are to live to the praise of your glorious grace, Lord. We know that we are in need and we know you provide and so we praise you for what you have provided. We thank you, Lord, for for your glory, who you are and what you do and for your magnificence and your greatness and your majesty and your fame. And Lord, we confess that we are so easily impressed by appearances. That if if we had enough wealth or power or ability, that we could become famous and then be glorified, but we don't want that, Lord. We, want, we, we know that sometimes we desperately seek admiration and approval of others. But Lord, we know that, that true glory is found only in, in your splendor and majesty and magnificence. Lord, we pray in faith that you would continually direct our hearts to offer you praise, to give you glory, to, to recognize and acknowledge who you are and give you the appropriate response of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.